Well, g'day there. Jess here. Welcome to the show. This is episode 289, and today I have an interview for you with Ron Miller. Ron was a graphic designer for 20 years, then became a teacher, and he now works with his wife to grow their own handmade business. And that is how I met Ron, because he joined my last uh, setup shop course and was a really engaged student, had a lot of really great wisdom and thoughts to share. So I invited him to come on the show because when we're DIYers, we do it DIY everything, every aspect of our business, there are some things we just don't know. And sometimes we don't know that we don't know them because we've never worked in the industry. You know, we have to be graphic designers, marketers, makers, uh, distributors, planners, managers, all the things, all of the hats. So I've got Ron on the show today to talk about the basics, the fundamentals of graphic design, the things you really need to know in order to go do a good job on Canva, basically, and not just create a hot mess because you don't understand the fundamentals of what makes good design versus bad design. So that is what we're going to be talking about today. And we've got a lot of good stuff in this episode. I'm sure there was a few things that I was like, oh yeah, I'd never really thought about that before. So hopefully you'll find this one super useful if you are making all your own you know, branding and graphics, just to get some of the basics down, some of the mistakes you might be making with, and I see this a lot. And that's another reason I'm, I'm wanted everyone on the show is because I see these mistakes being made so often in people's handmade shops where you're just like, oh no, what are you doing with those fonts or those typefaces and the colors and the, you know, there's, there's the right ways to do things and then there's the wrong ways to do things. And, you know, you can't break the rules properly unless you don't know what the rules are, right? So that is what today's episode is all about. Uh, in other news, I am running a live free YouTube workshop. I'm actually releasing this podcast a little earlier than normal because those of you who are early birds listening to this will get to know this before I do it. So I'm running a live workshop on getting started with Etsy. It's part of the Etsy U program, uh, which is a program that Etsy run where they get community member, experienced community members to teach Etsy workshops, basically. So this one is all about getting started on Etsy. It is going to be about 90 minutes long on my YouTube channel. It's a YouTube live. It's going to be this Thursday morning, Australian time at 10.30 a.m. So that's Australian Eastern Standard Time. So that's like Wednesday evening in the U.S. and Canada and probably the middle of the night for those of you in Europe. So I'm sorry about that, but you can watch the replay. So if you are listening to this and you missed the live, the replayed recording of that will be available on my YouTube channel. So you can go watch that. And we're just kind of covering a whole bunch of fundamentals about getting started with your Etsy shop, many of which I go into in further detail in other videos on my channel, podcasts, etc. So if you'd like to join me for that, there will be a link below in the show notes of this episode or just go to my youtube channel youtube.com forward slash jess van den and it will be there either you know waiting to start or the recording will be up and available for you to watch be great if you could join me live because you can then ask me questions and i'll do my best to answer them throughout the workshop so that is what's happening at the moment uh, next month i also have a little something special coming if you've been thinking about joining the thriver circle but you haven't done it yet make sure to keep an eye out because I'm running, going to be running something special uh, near the beginning of July. That is the next month. I had to stop and think about that for a minute. <laughs> oh my goodness. It is the winter solstice here today too, where I am. And I'm actually put together a winter solstice feast for Nick and I to enjoy by the fire tonight. So that is what I'm going to be doing with my afternoon is cooking. I am not the cook in the family. Nick is the everyday cook, but I do like to occasionally do something special. So I'm going to be making a winter solstice feast. It's going to be delicious. Looking forward to that. So happy solstice, summer or winter, wherever you are in the world, whatever solstice you're at. And we'll look forward to uh, the seasons turning yet again. All right. So let's get on with today's interview with Ron Miller. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. 
So I'm here today with Ron Miller. Ron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today because I think it's something that's going to be very helpful, especially to beginner makers who don't have any sort of graphic design knowledge or background. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of stuff that will be really, really useful. But before we get to that, let's let's uh, let you tell us why I brought you on the show. Why why is Ron the one that we're talking to about this particular topic? If you could let us know a little bit about your background. And uh, I actually met Ron recently online because he uh, was a student in my setup shop course. So he has a business, a handmade business of his own, but he has a lot of other experience that's very relevant to this topic. So Ron, and what, <laughs> what have you done in the past? Oh, okay. Um, my, my background is uh, as a graphic designer for about the first half of my career, mm -hmm. um, about 20 years. Um, I worked in ad agencies, in-house uh, art departments, marketing departments, print shops, and so on. Uh, my, uh, my, my college has been in applied arts and performing arts. Later in life, I did change careers to education because I believe that everything that you do in your future it relates somewhat to your past, and you never know what's going to apply. Um, I have been working for about the last 20 years and so in uh, education as a teacher, as a substitute, also as a full-time teacher teaching technology and also a technology integration into the classroom. Um, also, uh, one of the things that got me involved in that was the fact that I'm also a certified tennis instructor. I love working with kids. I've been doing that for about four decades. And uh, that really got me involved and got me interested in the whole idea of education, which is one reason why I like to share information with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it was great during the course. Ron was really involved. I could I could tell you had that teacher vibe about you because we can't help but like share what we're learning <laughs> with other people because we hope that it might help them. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I'm I'm officially retired at this point, although I, I still act as a substitute teacher uh, in middle school for people who know middle school kids know how crazy that is. I just like that. I just happen to like that age. <laughs> um, and uh, you, know, you just never know what you're going to say in a classroom that's going to have an impact on the students. So even even today, even with this quote unquote retirement, which I'm supposedly living, whatever that is, um, I, uh, I'm still enjoying being around the kids. Yeah, that's awesome. And it just, it, there's something wonderful about that experience of teaching and passing on your knowledge. So I'm glad you're here today to do that with us about this topic, which is uh, your kind of first career expertise of graphic design. Now, obviously things have probably, some things have probably changed a lot in the graphic design world in the last 20, 30 years, especially the accessibility, like with, you know, pr programs like Canva, which sort of allow like regular people like me who don't have graphic design experience to sort of put together our own stuff. But that means that we can also make a lot of mistakes because we don't actually have the foundational knowledge of what we should be doing. And uh, I've seen a lot of pretty hideous things coming out of people, especially, I mean, I look back at my own efforts when I first started and wow, because I, I had no idea what I was doing with any of it. Uh, so <laughs> can we just start off with some of the... Um, sort of the terrible errors that you see people make when they're trying to do their own logos and branding that just kind of make you cringe a bit and, you know, you wish that people would do it differently. Yeah. And I loved, I love when you said something about the, uh, the foundational information and, and you're right because the, the, the principles don't change. It doesn't mm. matter if it's 20 years or 30 years. I know the technology has changed, but the principles don't change. And so therefore, um, basically you can just make, um, much bigger mistakes faster. <laughs> um, and, 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 and you can make them digitally, which is wonderful. And you can get them out there quicker, which means the mistakes are out there faster for people to see. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas back in the day, um, it took longer for that. And maybe in the process you re you rethought it and reevaluate it and had something better go out the door. So, um, yeah, that, that's one of the things that's changed. Um, as far as things that I've seen, that are some of the bigger mistakes and some of the bigger things that are challenges for people is that uh, when, when people start a handmade shop, um, they're artistic, they're creative, they have their thing that they do very well, but that doesn't necessarily mean make them a good marketer or someone who knows anything about branding mm -hmm. or anything about logo creation or anything like that. So, so it's very, very challenging for them because they may not be quote unquote designers at all, whatever a designer is. Um, so there, there's very many principles that, you know, like anyone who studies anything, like I have graphic design, 
you know these principles and you apply these principles to help fix and adjust some of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, so to get more specific, um, some of the problems would be, uh, for example, um, mixing too many typefaces together. Mm. Or, for example, maybe putting typefaces together that are too close to one another, where it actually looks like a mistake, as if you were starting with one typeface and you accidentally switched to another. So there's not a contrast between them. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the font itself doesn't match the nature of the products that you're trying to put out. Maybe, maybe then maybe what you're trying to put out is much more industrial or mechanical or, or something like that. And your, your font, your typeface, or you, the, the look and feel of your brand is very light and airy and thin. And, and that just doesn't go with that kind of, um, that kind of font or typeface. That's, that's one of the big examples that you see that, that, that can be problematic for people. Mm, that's a, yeah, that's a great example. And it's so, so common um to see those sorts of mistakes another one i see a lot is choosing the wrong colors you know colors that clash or colors that don't you know people putting text on a background where the color it doesn't it doesn't separate properly from the background it just kind of i don't know i'm sure there's a technical term for this but <laughs> it just kind of sinks into the background almost um things like that uh can be really difficult to pass and also typefaces and fonts oh my gosh my husband and i were driving the other day and we saw this sign and we literally could not read the typeface it was so hideous we're like we can't even tell what the name of your business is because the typeface is so terrible like the it might have the sort of the right feel for your business but if it's not legible then that's not going to help anybody <laughs> yes yeah and, and legibility uh, is, I mean, the, the longer, the longer or the greater the amount of words or the bigger the words and or the longer the amount of text, the more legible it needs to be. Mm. Um, for, for just a few characters, a few letters, you can have something really funky and crazy and you can get away with it. But as soon as you start uh, stretching things out, for example, you know, I've taught people in schools, educators about uh, legibility and comprehension that, you know, no column width, for example, should be wider than one and a half uh, alphabets in length, because when, when it gets longer than that, it start, you start to lose legibility. So um, even for something where it comes to text versus being itself into a, a design, uh, a lot of those kind of things need to be considered in terms of line length and, and how legible it needs to be. That's a really interesting, I've never heard that before, but now I think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Like when, sometimes you'll get an email where it'll have like a massive photo in it and it'll stretch the, the text out sideways really really far and it's like really hard sure you have to scroll and stuff but it's just really difficult to read and yeah that's a really interesting rule that i certainly have never heard before but makes perfect sense when you when you hear it said to you <laughs> yeah it's 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 again it's one of those it's one of those things that you learn when when you do the training you know and you've and you've experienced it for like i said and trust me i've made all the mistakes <laughs> like like most people in any kind of thing i i've 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 had my fair share of, of disasters, um, both technologically and, and design-wise. Um, but, you know, you do learn from them. Yes, you do. Okay, so, all right, so begin. Let's, let's, let's take it to first principles because I think that's what we're going to excel at talking about today, what you know the best. Let's work through some of those first principle rules that somebody who's never done any graphic design training needs to know that they can take away from this episode and apply it to whatever they want to create, whatever. And look, this is so important today because you're not only are you creating like a logo and maybe a banner for your shop or, you know, your Etsy shop or whatever, anything you put on social media, any sort of, you know, marketing materials you want to put out there these days everything is so visual that it's so important that you have a good idea of these sorts of rules so that you are putting out visually um, appealing and clear works to the world so let's what is kind of at the as a graphic designer what is your your job like what is the core role and the thing that you are focused on the most well the funny thing is that really a, a graphic designer is a problem solver. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our, our job is to, to, to create some kind of visuals that send the message from the eyes to the brain. Right. And we need to communicate a message. And typically you need to communicate it quickly and effectively um, so that you can get um, some type of a call to action for people to do something. So mainly, you know, for me as someone who worked a lot of in advertising and marketing and so on in that respect, 
obviously you're you're targeting the consumer so you can get them to do something mm -hmm. and to get them to do that you need something visually appealing and you need to get that message to them quickly and you need to get it effectively and clearly uh, and try to grab their attention because you're not going to have their attention very long. Yeah, and I think that's even more true today in the attention-starved economy and people scrolling on Instagram and TikTok and all those sorts of things where, you know, your attention is just constantly being pulled in many, many different directions. So we have to be very clear and we have to be, you know, grabbing that attention in some way. So... What are, what are some of the principles that underline um, kind of, I guess, the visuals? Let's, let's start with the logo because I think this is the thing that people kind of, when they first set up a business, they're like, I've got to make a logo. What, what, are, what are the kind of key principles here behind a logo? One of the great things was that um, at the beginning of your setup shop course, you started right from the very basics where people had to think about what they were going to call their shop. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that occurs to me right away is since, since the design of a logo is so intertwined with the words that you use, um, it's really kind of important right away to think about, well, number one, is something like that available to me? Mm. I mean, as simple as throwing that name into a browser and saying, wow, did somebody use that already? Um, and, and taking that to another level, somewhere down the line, you may want to have your own website or your own identity. So you may want your own domain. So going to a domain registrar, like uh, I use something called Hover, and just typing in that name and seeing whether or not the name you like, that you, you've fallen in love with, is even available for you later down the road. Because you hate to think that you go six months down the road and you're really loving what you've done with your logo and your name and so on, only to find out that you're conflicting with someone else and someone else already has this, and then it's a problem. Yes, Absolutely. That is so, so important. Okay. So, and when we're thinking about names, again, you need to be thinking from, I guess, the perspective of a business person is that there's certain names. I see this again with handmade businesses. They'll be like something, something handmade, something or something designs. I did this when I first started my, I called my blog, Ethereal Designs, just like, why, why do we put the designs on things? <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, and then I, you know, I changed it to just ethereal. I'm like, it just needs to be one word. I don't, I don't need to put all these extra words around my brand name. You know, I can put that elsewhere. So what are some of the principles when it comes to just choosing a good name? Uh, it, 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 it's, it's both an art and a science. Um, in some respects, some of this, what I talk about tonight might be a little difficult to explain only because, um, with the art background and, and those who don't have that background, um, aren't necessarily going to be working from the same genetic material that I'm working from as, as I'm coming up with these ideas. Mm -hmm. And by simplifying it, did it reduce what you were telling them? No. As a matter of fact, in some respects, less was more. And certainly now it's like, oh, what does that name really mean? What does that attach to? What kind of products go with that name? So sometimes there could be a little mystery to that, just leaving things out. Mm, that's a really good point as well. Like I, I always harp on whenever I talk about this naming thing, I always harp on to my students, don't put what you make in the name, like so-and-so's jewelry or so-and-so's bags. I mean, you, look, you can, but I always advise you not to because it, it narrows down what you can do with your business. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're, if you leave it a bit broader, you have a little bit more option in the future to move in a different direction while still maintaining that same business. Well, it's interesting because my wife and I, as we as we started this handmade business, which is, of course, what got me attached to getting together with you here tonight. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The name was Trisha's Wares. We had come up with this name, or actually, she had come up with it. And uh, our original tagline was creativity, passion, and craft. And I love that. And I think it really typifies what we're about. But when we came to realize the kind of work that we were doing and, and we actually looked at our products that we were putting together and we wanted to put together in the future, we realized that mainly what we did was home decor. So in our case, we decided we wanted to make it Trisha's Wears Home Decor. We wanted to be specific because we know that home decor was the area we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, now, that doesn't limit us to what we want to do in that respect, only because we know whatever we do is going to be home decor. We're not doing knitting. We're not doing crocheting. We're not mm -hmm. doing, you know, we're not doing, we're not building furniture. We're not, we're not doing anything like that. It's going to be specifically home decor. So in some respects, if you're, if you very much have a niche that you're working at 
and it, you're going to stay within that, I would say, okay, it's not a bad idea to say, look, I'm really good at this one thing. And, and you can be specific about that. Mm-hmm. But you have to be careful. You're right. Because once you, once you lock yourself into a name and, and you fall in love with that and you're, and you're kind of stuck with it for a while, then you may find yourself limited as to where you can go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you, what do you think about like people taking a longer name and turning it like for a logo, for example, you could turn it into an acronym for your logo rather than using the full name? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's fine. As, as a matter of fact, I, I, one of my, uh, I'm kind of a, a, kind of a grammar nerd and I think you are too, as, yeah. as I remember. <laughs> um, um, actually it's one of my certifications is, um, of language arts for school. Um, and, um, there's a difference between what they call an acronym and an initialism. So an acronym is where something like NASA, where each letter stands for something. Um, and, and it's, it says a word. Whereas an initialism is something where it does not. For example, MRI. You can't say MRIP. <laughs> you can't say NASA. <laughs> I love okay, that. Okay, so, so, so MRI is not, a, not an, an acronym. It's an initialism. But you can use that. Mm-hmm. Or you can use, you know, alliteration. Like I, I like this one, Peter Percival's Pottery. You know, you can have alliteration of that, that first character. Um, so th- things like that can be used. Oh, and by the way, g- grammar is not important here. And mm-hmm. it's funny because as a grammar nerd, it might drive me crazy, but the reality is that grammar is not important when it comes to advertising and branding necessarily. That is, that is interesting. Um, because it can be for people who are grammar nerds, it can be frustrating, you know, when you see something that isn't correct grammar, but sometimes it can work well. Um, I think the example you gave was the, the classic. Really stuck. It's a classic. <laughs> yes. It's a classic and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so I, I and I love that old Apple ad, the think different, think differently. You know, like it's just when you see it. I think one of the thing, the one of the reasons it works is because, and I studied semiotics and all that sort of jazz at university as well. I have an English degree. Um, it, it actually stops you in your tracks because it's wrong to your brain, so it actually captures you for a little bit longer than the the. The proper version would and then it even plays on itself as think different oh okay so you're actually saying something different to the way you would normally say it so it's actually a stroke of marketing genius when you when you really think about it oh absolutely and we can see how far they brought that genius <laughs> <laughs> yes very very impressive very very impressive business um, I'm not an Apple person myself but I can appreciate their marketing savvy for sure um, okay, so now that we've talked about the, the the name, let's let's dive into the logo a little bit more. Because one thing again, I tell my students is, look, don't overthink this at the beginning. You can literally, and still to this day, for my jewelry business, my logo is literally just my business name and my tag or, or and or my tagline, depending on the situation. Like I, I didn't go, I didn't try to make it. Fan- I mean, actually, I lie. When I first started my business, I had this. Um, this set of earrings I made that were like a spiral and the spiral looked a bit like an E. So I actually used that E, like I took a, 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 a photo of it, I think, and turned it into like a stamp or something. And um, I used that for a while, but then it didn't really fit the vibe of my business. So I changed it after a while. So yeah, I mean, you can just go as simple as either using literally your business name or yeah, an initialism or a acronym for your business as well. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of times, um you know, people do decide to go in a certain direction and in that respect, it becomes confusing uh, when, again, they try to stretch it out too much and try to build too much on that name. Yeah. So what are some of the rules when it comes to, and I want to kind of draw this out a bit. You talked about it earlier when you're thinking about your branding for your business and obviously your logo is kind of a core part of that branding when it comes to choosing fonts and, and t- typefaces, fonts for your, your logo and your business in general, what are the rules around those sorts of things? Well, I mean, I, one of the most important things I think you need to consider, um, besides the fact that you need to be careful when you start mixing fonts. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I think before I even get to that, we need to clarify font and typeface mm-hmm. because there is a lot of confusion. They are, tend to be used interchangeably but the reality is that they're really not the same. So let me just give you a quick primer on that. Mm-hmm. The, the typeface is what it looks like. What kind of look and feel and so on does that typeface show? Is it is it decorative? 
Is it ornate? Is it calligraphy? Is it um, industrial? These kind of things are the typeface. And there are all these different things that you see. But inside the typeface, you have the font. And the font could be the bold and the italic and the condensed and the extra bold. That's part of the font itself. That's the uh, integral part of what fleshes out the rest of that typeface is mm -hmm. are those those characters and so on and so forth. And in some cases, your uh, your extra swashes and things like that can all be part of the font, but they're not necessarily the typeface. Okay, that's interesting. I've never really heard that distinction before, so that's really helpful. Um, so as far as um, want some things to avoid is having mixing too many different typefaces. Mm -hmm. um, if you if you're especially if you're doing a logo and you're doing more than two typefaces, that's probably you know one too many more if you do three. Um, so and, and the other part is that if you have typefaces that are uh, closely matched, let's say um, a, a typeface which is a what we call a serif typeface which has little spurs on the end of them, something called a um, century uh, old style and Times New Roman, you wouldn't want to mix them because they look too similar. Mm. Um, and it would look like a mistake. It looks like, oh, they started with one and they accidentally had the font change on them <laughs> and, <laughs> and they didn't realize it. So you, you really kind of want to avoid, if you're, if you're making a distinction between one typeface and another, make sure it's a very strong distinction. And one of those great distinctions is a serif typeface versus a sans serif typeface. Mm -hmm. So in other words, like an Arial or Havetica, which has no little serif, these little spurs that, that go on the ends of these things, um, versus a Times New Roman where you have all the little spurs, something where there's a contrast between them. And that makes it seem like, okay, they did this on purpose. It was not a mistake. And um, what are some of the, so we've got, okay, serif versus sans serif. So, you know, if you've got fancy loopy, I think it's called like calligraphy or like handwriting style font, you want to contrast that with like a, a more, uh, you know, simple sort of sans serif type font as well, I'm imagining. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and, and what that what that does is it it accentuates the f the one that you really want to see and you really want to read, and then one acts more solidly as the base. So let's say in this in in this particular case, is if you have for an example, uh, if you have something that's very uh, handwritten, um, swashy, has that kind of a feel to it, versus something that's more uh, solid, like a an Arial or a Helvetica or something very very plain that has no serifs, the swashy handwritten type. Uh, typeface can be the one perhaps is the name of your business and that's the one you're drawing attention to and then the sans serif font acts more like a solid base to just as a support mechanism for the other one all right so what are some of the other parts of the logo design process that people need to think about uh, when they are putting that together once they've kind of settled on two typefaces that work well together what else do they need to think about in this process well, they need to consider what kind of format is it going to be used in. Um, for example, um, is is something going to be considered uh, used very very small or very large, or is it going to be on social media? Is it going to be on print? Is it going to be on multiple areas? And and again, we, we really have to think about the fact that it's going to be in, in a lot of different places, which is why when you're starting to design the logo. You really need to think about okay how will this item scale scale is so incredibly important mm -hmm. because if the logo doesn't work the size of a postage stamp but then the size of a banner that you're going to put on at a market um, then you might have a little bit of an issue or you design your logo in a way that it can be readjusted so that it can be more of a horizontal format for a banner or a sign and then more of a vertical format when you don't have when you have less space where you have to use a thumbnail or something much smaller because uh, people, people need to consider not the fact that just they're going to be putting it up on their social media, but also on their, their shop, maybe on a website as a banner. But also, uh, if you consider the fact that you're going to be printing some things too, consider mm -hmm. the fact that many people will have business cards or they'll have thank you notes or they might have some other posters that they want to put together for uh, advertising. So the idea that how is this thing going to work in scale uh, small versus large and is the thickness of the graphics and the fonts or the typefaces that we've used is that going to hold up when we do the scaling of that mm, that's a really good point actually I've, I've definitely seen that go wrong for people 
in the in the past and there's so many oh it's so frustrating like there's so many different places online even that you'll have to put your logo and they're all different bloody like sizes like some will be a square some will be landscape some will be uh, horizontal you know and it's just uh, vertical horizontal ah you know so you have to have something that will work in all of those formats um sometimes i i kind of default to just like a square or a circular sort of shape because you can kind of make that work wherever because like if it's if it's a like a, a a horizontal rectangle you can put it in the middle or to the, the one side or something like that whereas if you have uh, like a, a logo that is long which I made the mistake of doing with my create and thrive logo it's like a, it's just like create and thrive as a, as a phrase it really limits uh, the ability to kind of put that in different places I mean I could like put the, the words on top of each other and stuff like that um, but yeah it, it can be frustrating it's really kind of important when when they're designing the logo that you consider that you, you really probably have to design two or three mm. you have one one main logo that you like and you've, you enjoy and you think this is the one, this is the one that, that I'm going to go with. But you really have to consider the fact that all these different ways you're going to use it. So can I make it work small? Can I make it make? Can I make it work horizontally? Can I make it work vertically? Uh, will it work in a limited space? Will it work in a larger space? And so you really kind of have to look at how you can use your elements, both your visual elements, whether it be mm-hmm. some graphics or if, it's, or if it's initials, and how that will come together in two or three different ways and truly really kind of work on the layout and come up with two or three different ways that you like the way it works. Therefore, that way it's not a big stretch when it comes to the problem of, oh, I got to use it now and, and and it doesn't fit that way and it does not cropping right and no, it looks terrible. And, and so <laughs> this is this is why it's almost like you have to do that at the beginning of the process. Mm. And just re- and the great thing is you're using the same elements. If you're yeah. using the same words or the, you may just be in some cases, truncating it in some places, simplifying it, because let's face it, if you have some initials and the initials are, say, in a block, let's say the reversed initials. So they're like white in say, a, a color block. You can use that as a logo. It's very small somewhere and it'll show up. But then you can also blow that up big and then you can have a tagline somehow wrapped around that or underneath that in, in a large capacity. Mm. So there's, there are different ways to do that. And if you keep that, keep that in mind when you're designing the logo, that there are going to be different ways to do it you're probably going to be better off by thinking about that up front. How about colors? Because this is another problem I see a lot of people doing is like using too many colors or the wrong colors. What sort of rules can we follow here when it comes to using colors in our logo design? Well, colors colors can be great and a nightmare. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) We could could talk for hours just about color. (laughs) Um, um, So uh, I I would think, again, I, I think keeping things simple is probably best. You have to consider the fact that there are basically two different ways you're going to be putting logos like this together in a, what they call a bitmap program, which most people would know as Photoshop um, as the big hitter. And then something in what they call a vector based drawing program, which most people would know as illustrator. And so therefore here's the beauty of it. Um, Photoshop is great for photos and, and, and graphics and all kind of, you know, things that layers and, and, and wonderful things. It's incredible, but it's not a great logo program because it doesn't, you can't scale well from Photoshop typically, but something like Illustrator where it's a vector-based program, it's based on a mathematical equation. Vectors are a mathematical equation. So therefore, if you make it one inch square or the size of a building, it doesn't matter. It's going to be just as clear either size. So it's kind of important to understand, unfortunately, this is where the technical aspect of understanding software a little bit, at least the principles of it, mm-hmm. understanding the difference between vector and bitmap are important because otherwise, if you're now taking and it as it relates to color, you're taking something and you've made it multiple colors and it's beautiful and it's a picture. So when you, when you go and you, you, you have a photograph and so on and you blow it up in Photoshop, these are little pixels, like little dots of color. And when you blow that up, these dots get bigger. And as they get bigger, they get fuzzier. So therefore, if you're, again, scaling and you're dealing with something and it's multiple colors and you say, oh, it's beautiful. I can do all these colors in Photoshop. Well, that's not so good when you start to blow it up because now the pixels become big and now you have these chunky pixels and it's like an old 8-bit video game and it, and it looks and it's going to look horrendous <laughs> and terrible. Whereas if you take a vector-based program like Illustrator or you, I'm sure probably in Canva and so on, where you have a mathematical equation to create these drawings, 
that can be any size and the scale and it will not change the clarity of the object. Awesome. So we need to try to make our logos a vector rather than a bitmap. So in other words, you don't want to save your logo as like a JPEG or a PNG, right? Correct. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably what most of us do. <laughs> we probably well, just well, make something in Canva and save it as a, as a JPEG or a, or a PNG. And then we try to blow it up. Like I see this all the time, people, and, and again, you know, make a banner or something for their shop. And then they put it in there and like, oh my God, that looks terrible because it's all pixelated. Right. If, if you have, if you have a program and, and this is kind of a generality because again, there's all these different pieces of software out there. And I know a lot of people use Canva or Inkscape. Um, they use these very, and, and, and personally I'm, I'm working on a Mac and I actually use um, uh, a little program called Acorn, which is actually a, a, a bitmap program, which would be sort of a, sort of like Photoshop, but not nearly as expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and then I use a, a vector-based program called graphic. And it's very basic and it's marvelous. It's a marvelous illustrator imitation. Um, and these are two programs that, you know, some people use and some people don't. But the reality is that as long as you go with vector and bitmap and you understand the difference and what, what they can do for you. Um, I mean, something like Acorn I use all the time for my listing photos mm. um, so that I can make them look, you know, pretty and I can make all kinds of adjustments and so on and drop shadows and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But I wouldn't do that for my logo. Now, if you're gonna if you're gonna take your logo and save it as a JPEG, that's fine, as long as you start with the original size that you want. Mm. So, in other words, if you want, I'll give you an example. Let's say your logo needs to be uh, two inches square. Um, if you know that it's two inches square, and you create your logo that's two inches square in a bitmap or uh, in a vector program, and you save it as a JPEG, as long as you bring it in to where you need it to be, and you don't change the size or make it bigger, it's fine. So that's not a problem. The problem becomes when you start to enlarge it once it's a JPEG or a ping, something mm -hmm. like that, um, because now the, now you're starting to create a, a bitmap issue where, with the pixels that start to enlarge. So using the JPEG or the PNG is not a problem into itself. You just have to make sure you know what size is your target size before you start saving it into that area. Right, okay, makes perfect sense. Um, just off topic, is it GIF or GIF? <laughs> um is it is it cuppa or a cup of tea i don't know you tell me <laughs> the classic the classic argument <laughs> i say i say um yeah i don't know what i say what do i say i think i say gif yeah generally speaking <laughs> my 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 wife and i are addicted to the uh, the british uh, detective shows oh awesome and uh and and we love and we love the fancy a cuppa, yeah. Um, and I've also and we've also noticed that no one seems to ever drink a cup of coffee. It's a coffee. Yes. Um, I'm not sure why it is. A cuppa but, uh, is a cup of tea always. Yep. Yes. And then you say, "Do you want a coffee?" <laughs> if you want a coffee, yep. <laughs> Australia is a the cup same. of coffee. No, no, no. Do you want a coffee? Yeah. Because I guess you're assuming. I guess that the assumption is that, well, wait a minute, how can I have coffee if it's not in a cup? So why do I need to say a cup of coffee? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've always loved all well, those I, language I, differences. I, I, that's okay. I know my loo and I knew my boot and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get all these, all this terminology down. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever come to England or Australia, you'll be, you'll have like a step up then. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> all right so well, I'll, I'll give you i'll give you a look i'll give you a local one here for oh, south jersey excellent so for south jersey because i live about an hour from the shoreline atlantic ocean mm -hmm. okay so where i am in south jersey i'm about an hour away from literally where you could walk out into the ocean um there's a boardwalk and so on it's called atlantic city um and no one here in south jersey goes to the beach and you know there's a beach there because there's sand Mm -hmm. but no one here goes to the beach. You ask anyone here and they'll all tell you, they go down ashore. <laughs> what is down ashore? It seems to be one word. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. That regional dialects and, and stuff. Um, I know we're getting a bit off topic here, but it's all fascinating word nerd <laughs> stuff that, uh, well, we think it's fascinating. Um, but and I think, you know, 
we need to think about these sorts of things when we do come up with names and stuff for our businesses because you know we might be using regional spelling or regional dialect that might not actually make sense to other people or you know regional jargon so that's something to consider as well you know if you if you're naming your business you know are you are you naming it for the domestic market or for the worldwide market and uh, if you are naming it for the worldwide market do keep in mind that there are some words that people in other countries even if they speak the same language might not understand yeah and that's again where the simplicity comes in mm. but but i'm curious as as to someone who lives outside of the united states yourself mm. um do you always tend to think more globally in the global market and i, and I know you sell globally mm. but do you tend to think more globally than than most people that you encounter in your in your courses and so on that people in the states tend to think of the states and but don't think as globally do, do you find that to be the case Yes, definitely. Yeah. I think because Western culture is very Ameri American centric that those of you in the States kind of you think of America first and then you kind of expect everybody else to think the way or, or, or use the language, for example, like Fahrenheit. Nobody else uses that. We don't know what that is. Everyone else uses Celsius. <laughs> Like whenever I see a recipe, it's Fahrenheit. I'm like, oh my God, what is that? I have to look up the conversion. Um, so just little things like that um, or, you know, um, other or other imperial measurements and stuff like inches. We don't, we don't use those. We use centimeters. But I still, I think, okay, well, I need to say stuff in inches because funnily enough, even though we don't use them, we still kind of understand what an inch and a foot and stuff is because of like, you just kind of absorb it through pop culture as osmosis because you hear it so often. Um, and some of the older generations still kind of use feet, like my dad still will still use feet and inches sometimes because they grew up with it as children. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But, yeah, definitely I think those of us outside of the States are more aware of sort of that global aspect of things, especially if we sell somewhere like Etsy because it is an American company. And it is built first and foremost for Americans, although they are thankfully bringing in some tools that help those of us, you know, in other countries like the internet, uh, domestic and global pricing that they brought in at the end of 2021, which is fantastic. And that's really helpful to those of us outside of the States. So, yeah, it, there's definitely a difference in perspective there. Yeah. So I think that the uh, one day, one day, don't worry, um, we'll, we'll, we'll teach all of you about inches and feet and, and so on and <laughs> And, and how it's actually done. Cause you know, it makes a lot of sense. Think about it. Your, your foot is probably about 12 inches long. So that's why they call it a foot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it is all logical in its own way, but uh, I, I, I can never understand how you guys convert stuff. Like everything in, in metric is base 10. So it's just so easy to convert distances and stuff. Whereas in Imperial, it's all, it's base 12, I think. So it's, it's a little bit more complicated. I, I do see I do see kids like uh, at least three times a week. So trust me, um, they have difficulty with it as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, um, is there anything else that in your immense wisdom you would like to tell people about this process of, you know, getting started with your graphic design and your branding? Have we missed anything vital that people need to know before we wrap up our conversation? Um, yeah, I would say that I, I, one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to um, putting together uh, typography, and, and again, you, you, it's difficult to do any kind of logo without using some type of type or font or, or something like that. So you're going to have to have something going on there. Um, one of my big pet peeves is spacing. And I think, I think it's, it's worth addressing a little bit because when it comes to spacing, Letters that are not close enough together um, can be problematic. And this is not only a problem in the logos themselves and the branding, it also becomes a problem when people start putting together products that have, have letters in them and it starts to look a little, a little gappy. Um, so I think people need to pay attention to um, how things look. There's, there's an understanding that, um, that type has spaces to them, it, characters of spaces to them. Um, back in the day, back in the caveman era, like when I was young, uh, <laughs> we had something called a typewriter. Uh, and on a typewriter, you had what they called monospace type. So the character I took the same amount of space as the character W, which makes zero sense, of course, right? Mm -hmm. It makes 
it kind of makes zero sense when you have the idea that the letter I and the letter W take up the same amount of space. Um, so type becomes very, very gappy. So we have everything today, fonts and typefaces are all proportional letter spacing, but you cannot assume that the equipment or the, or the machine, the technology is going to do it right. So the same thing applies to proofreading as it does to letter spacing. Please take a look at it and see if it looks gappy, see if it looks like they're too far apart or they're too close together. Don't just rely on the software to do it for you. It's very important to check it yourself. Yes, I totally agree with that. Um, I actually learned to type on a typewriter. I am old enough to have done that in high school. So there you go. But I think I was probably one of the very last gen uh, ages to do that. I think they were on computers a year or two after me. So uh, I remember those days. I think, to, you know, I think learning to type on a typewriter in some ways was better because you can't just press backspace when you make a mistake. You need to be much more careful. <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted to cover? I think that was a really important point, the, the gappy thing. Because I, I, I don't want to make this overly complicated because the reality is that if you have a, a, a background and, and you've studied these things, mm -hmm. um, and, and basically it's an art, you know, just as much as a science, um, no one can be expected to be an expert on listening to a podcast. Let's, oh, no. let's, let's face it. No. Um, they, we, can, we can give them a couple of pointers, but there's no way I can translate to them in... 20, 30, 40 minutes, things that I've learned over 20 years. So it's, it's, no. it's, it's, it's a challenge. <laughs> Definitely. No, you've done really well. Thank you. Okay. Uh, well, you. we might um, just do a little, little chat about your business briefly, and then we'll wrap up the show. Okay. Well, before we go, I'm just, uh, for those who are listening, who might be curious, what is your handmade business, Ron? Well, it's actually my wife and I, and it was actually the name that she came up with. It's called Trisha's Wares. And her name is Trish, um, although all of her family calls her Patricia. Um, I'm not sure why. I've explained to them that her name is Trish, but they don't want to hear it. Um, but uh, no, she, she my the, the quick backstory is that my wife was working for an arts and crafts company uh, part time, just doing you know part time work. Mm -hmm. And uh, she'd done many things over the years and careers and so on. And she was just doing this part time as she was retired. And uh, they went out of business. And um, she decided that she really liked, she got involved with the cricket and she got involved with all these different things and she really enjoyed it. And she started picking up these things and bringing them home and said, hey, I think I wanna do something with handmade business. I wanna, I wanna we've always done some kind of business thing all the time, seemingly <laughs> we've done so many things. So she came up with this idea, Trisha's wares, and she started creating some things. And of course, you know, I couldn't, oh, I'm watching her do something like, well, wait a minute, what if you did that? And what if you adjusted that? What if, and of course, you know, I can't stand back. I was a designer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately I was, I was, I was hooked in. And then sooner or later, then I got, then I really got interested and involved. And of course uh, the rest is history. Whereas now we, um, like, I, like I said earlier, we got involved with your course, your setup shop, that was wonderful, by the way, and uh, the information we received, we will be using, you know, as we continue to move forward, we used in the, in the course, and now we're going to continue using that information. And uh, we're hoping to, uh, to build this up into something that eventually uh, we can pass on to our grandchildren. We have three of them at this point. Uh, and uh, so I'd like to say for all those people out there who are potentially uh, older or grandparents or whatever, like I say on our, our, on our Etsy shop, uh, we're not done yet. Um, we're still here and we're still viable and we're still, we still have things to do. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And I have so much admiration. I have so many students who are like retired and doing like this new thing for themselves. And it's so fantastic to see. Uh, it reminds me very much of my, my own dad. I mean, he doesn't have a business, but he's always in his shed making things and fixing things and building things for people. And, you know, that's what he loves to do. And it's great that he has the time to do that now that he doesn't have to, you know, do a day job sort of thing. So it's great to see people uh, managing to, you know, bring their passions to life. So uh, what's your Etsy shop? Uh, how can we find you over there? Well, I mean, you can go on Etsy and just type in Trisha's Wares mm -hmm. and you'll find us. Uh, we also have a blog um, at trishaswares.com. And I like to share some tips and tricks about number one, things that I've learned as I've gone through in the process of, and learning the mistakes and making the mistakes and seeing what I can do with it. And also I'm showing highlighting some current uh, items that we have and some things that are coming yet that I'm still working on conceptually. Um, so there might be some value for some people there and we're, we're 
we're continuing to work towards getting our social media together because that's probably where we're a little bit weakest at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not my favorite part of, of things either, but uh, it is uh, somewhat necessary in today's world. So Ron, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your immense knowledge with us. I know we just like barely scratched the surface of what we we could have covered today but i'm hoping that some of these like fundamentals will help people moving forward not only with their logo design but any sort of graphic design that they do for their businesses moving forward just some of those fundamental tips that kind of really help to elevate things and make them look a bit more professional yeah i appreciate you giving me the opportunity uh, it, it's funny because over the years i've had a I had a tennis podcast and I share a lot of information with people about tennis and instruction. And I've, 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 I've had to, I've been blessed to be able to, to teach children from the age of five and then see them all the way through high school and into college because I've been teaching it so long. And, and when I did my tennis podcast, I got an opportunity to share my knowledge, but it's funny. I never really got an opportunity to do that with, with my 20 year career of design. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to do that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today, Ron. Thank you. Did you enjoy this one? Let me know. Head on over to Instagram. You can hit me up either on my personal account at Jess Van Den or at Create and Thrive. And I would love to hear from you if you enjoy the podcast. Of course, I would also really, really appreciate it if you could support the show by leaving a rating and review over on Apple uh, Podcasts or even on my uh, Facebook page or on Spotify. Hit that five star five stars on Spotify. That would be awesome. Thank you so, so much. Uh, If you want to support the show financially, you can donate. I've got a button on my website in the show notes of every episode. You can donate whatever you would like, or you can, of course, do the best for everybody concerned and join the Thriver Circle because uh, without the members of the Thriver Circle and their support, I wouldn't be able to do this show and my YouTube and everything else for free for all of you. So that means you get access to so many things that will help you grow your hammo business faster, including my year-long course, Your Year to Thrive, where you get one lesson a week for 52 weeks, taking you on a journey of everything you need to learn to start and grow a successful handmade business. And of course, 40 plus exclusive video workshops, live calls and chats every month with me and members of the circle. It's a great community. So thank you to all of the wonderful people who are a part of that community, past, present, and future. All right, I will see you for the next episode very soon. Take care of yourselves and bye for now.